Today's episode is brought to you from The Russell, a historic East Nashville church transformed into a -a one-of-a-kind boutique hotel. The Russell's mission is to give back to the Nashville community through their Rooms for Rooms program by donating a portion of your stay to local organizations who provide a safe haven for those in need in the Nashville community. I mean, seriously, what more can you want? This hotel is beautiful, and they give back. Come on. Visit the Russell Nashville to book your experience today. That's R-U-S-S-E-L-L, Nashville.com, to book your experience today. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to This Hits Different, hosted by me, Riley Nelson. You guys, I'm so excited to share this guest with you. Um, She is a dating coach once again. Her name is Samantha, and she has been coaching now for a few years, and I found her on TikTok because, surprise, surprise, I find all my guests on TikTok. Is that a shock? No, it's not because I'm obsessed with the app. But so we will be talking about dating today. We have another dating episode. Um, I'm actually really excited to share this because I think that Sam has a ton of great information that I think will translate very well to you guys. Personally, I struggle with a lot of the things that she coaches on. So who knows? Maybe I might have just found myself another dating coach. We love it. Yes, we do. Speaking of dating, I have a story that I'm going to share with y'all because this podcast is real. It's unfiltered. It's untamed. And it's a really funny story. So we're going to share it a little bit. I'm going to tell you guys about the worst first date that I've ever been on. And for a while, that story really wasn't that bad. Until I went on a date a few weeks ago, and it was that bad. So, without further ado, here we go. Okay, so I'm at this bar. I see this really cute guy, and I am like, you know, I want to go talk to him. going to go flirt with him. So, naturally, I walk up to him at the bar, and we're talking about getting a drink together. But then my friends bring up another shot, and they're like, here, you take this. So, I was like, oh, I can't get another drink. Um, Because I'm getting the shot and I'm already drunk. So anyways, this guy gets my number and, um, you know, kind of go about the rest of my night with my friends. Well, the next morning he texts me and he's like, hey, you know, we talked at the bar about going to get a drink. Like, if you want to go get a margarita sometime, like, let's let's I'd love to take you out, basically. And I was like, that is so cute. Um, And so we were just kind of texting back and forth. Um, for like a day or two, nothing too crazy. And I was like, okay, well, like, if he's not going to make the plan, I'm not going to go out of my way. So I get to the point where it's it's not weird to follow him on Instagram. So I pull up his Instagram, I follow him, and he follows me. I see that he accidentally liked one of my old videos. And I mean, this one's deep in there because I post a lot on Instagram. So this video that he liked is deep on Instagram. And... Basically, it was a TikTok of me teaching men how to ask out a woman and saying, like, what we like versus what we don't like. So he liked it, and then he unliked it, but I saw that he liked it, obviously. Um, I don't know if he purposely did it or what. Anyways, I saw that he liked it. So he texted me, and he basically just, he was like, he took my advice. And I thought that was so cute because he literally did everything that, like, I said to do in that video, and I thought it was so hot. He's like, are you free on Wednesday? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, great. How about um, 7 o'clock dinner at this restaurant and um, I can come pick you up? 
me personally, I don't get in the car with strangers. I know I met this guy in person, but like we met for like five minutes at a bar. I don't know this person. So I, I was like, you know, I'll just meet you there because I'm one, I'm coming from work and two, I'm not getting in a car with a random stranger. That's just not how I operate. I watch way too much true crime for that. So finally, we we get to the we get to the place, and I'm like kind of excited because I'm like, oh, like you know, he like really took control. That was really hot. You know, he seems confident in his masculinity and in himself. Like that's so attractive. And when I got to dinner, it was just not the same. So for instance, he showed up. Um, he got there before I did. He got a table. And when I walked in, one, he didn't even get up to greet me, which I thought was kind of odd. But then I just kind of chalked it up to nerves. So I, like, very awkwardly was, like, getting situated and getting into the chair. And, um, yeah, it was just, like, very uncomfortable. Conversation was very slow. Um, It was a little bit awkward. But then y'all know I can talk to a wall, as I'm literally doing right now. And it actually ended up being a good date. And he, like, was asking to see me again. And, um, you know, I, I kind of realized within the first few minutes that I could see him maybe as a friend, but I don't think I really want to pursue anything romantic with him. Um, but he was asking to see me again the next weekend. And I just, you know, didn't really feel comfortable with that. So that was that. Uh, but I didn't tell him no. I just said, oh, yeah, like, I have a friend coming in town, blah, blah, blah. This is where the date really, really goes south. We're there for like an hour and a half, and I'm like dying to leave, but I don't know how to cut him off without being rude, which is such a toxic trait of women, because like if I'm not having a good time, I should have just left and not worried about his feelings, but of course I was. And um, basically we ended up, um, the server comes up, and the server is like, hey, I just got cut. Do you mind if I close y'all out and in my head I'm like thank god finally I can leave I don't have to sit here and like you know we'll be paid out and we can just leave whenever so the waiter comes and I always say to guys on dates I say oh do you need help with that because you know it kind of like shits on their masculinity and then they're like no 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 no, I'm good so I asked this guy and I said hey do you need help with that When the check comes and this guy says, yes, he said, yeah, that would be great. Immediately, I have never been more turned off in my life. I cannot describe it. I just felt so disrespected. I felt like embarrassed. I like literally like my stomach dropped when he said that I felt sick. I was like, I got so turned off. I was like, I have no like desire to see this guy ever again. I have no sexual desire towards him. Like, I ew. Like, and I don't expect people to pay for me like that. But like, I feel like on the first date, it's a little bit different because you're trying to impress me. Not to mention, like, there's a whole patriarchy that's built in your favor, but like, whatever. And so when he said that, I got really turned off. So I pull out my debit card and I hand it over to him to just split the check down the middle because we basically got the same thing. Mind you, this guy was ordering so much food. He's like, let's get a pitcher. Let's get appetizers. Let's get a bunch of tacos. So I'm like kind of following his lead. So I like didn't want to be too expensive of a date. And so I hand him my card and he clearly doesn't want the server to see that he is having me pay for my half. So he's like, 
oh, no worries. You can just Venmo me. I'm like, okay. And before I know it, he shoves his phone with his Venmo pulled up into my face. And, like, literally, the whole thing about this is, like, I was just so, like, turned off. And he shoves the phone in my face with his Venmo pulled up. And so I grab his phone, and I'm like, hey, will you pass my card back then? And this guy straight up puts his arm on top of the card, on top of my debit card, like, saying, like, basically he was signaling to me, like, I'm not giving you your card back until I know that you paid. If you're broke, that's fine, but, like, don't pick an expensive restaurant. You Don't pick all the appetizers and a pitcher of margaritas. If you're poor, let's go get Chick-fil-A and sit in the park. Like, what? Anyways... So, like, he had picked this place. I was just in shock. And so, finally, I put in my Venmo. I Venmo him. I Venmo him 45, 50 bucks. And it got to the point where I was like, I literally reached across the table and I grabbed my debit card from under his arm and, like, slid it back over to me. It was so uncomfortable. And so then the server goes, runs the card, comes back, and he... The guy is being, like, very sus on filling out this um, check. So, you know, like, and when you're in, like, school and people are, like, trying to block you from cheating um, on their test or whatever and they're, like, really hunched over and they have their arms around it, that's how this man, there's a visual of how this man was sitting around this check. So I was like, what the fuck did he do? So after he does the check, he goes to the bathroom. And, y'all, this is where I knew I was, like, Absolutely not. This is just a shitty person. He tipped the server $5 on a $100 tab. Yeah, you heard me right. Yep, I just wanted to let that silence ring out. $5 on a $100 tab. So he's in the bathroom, and I'm panicking because I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot believe that this cheapskate just is ripping the waiter, too. Like, it's one thing to, like, do that but like if i'm paying half the least you could do is tip the waiter good right i mean let's see 20 percent of 100 like he should have tipped at least 20 dollars, and he tipped the server five dollars like that shit was embarrassing so i ran um i was like looking for the waiter to like try to see if i could get his venmo to send him more money and but i didn't have any cash on me So the guy ends up coming out, and real quickly, I'm like, I have to get out of here. So he comes out, and um, I'm like, you know, it's getting late. Like, I do need to go home. I have work in the morning. That was a lie. And I really just need to get back to back home. And he's like, well, we still have another drink to finish because we had a pitcher, mind you. And I literally, like, just made a joke, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, if if I drink that, I'm not driving home tonight. I'm so drunk. No, my ass was stone cold sober in that moment, um, but I just wanted to get out of it. So finally we leave. He asked to see me again, and um, that's that. I Oh, and wait, the worst part about this is I go back to my car, and I when I left the parking garage, it was $30, $30 to park. So I ended up paying $100 for... A night that was, like, literally the one of the worst, not one, the worst date of my life. I was pissed. And I was like, you know what, whatever, like, I get it. But, like, it was so bad. So on that note, I'm a firm believer now that if a, whoever invites the other on the date needs to pay. 
And I think that that's just equal. That's fair. If I ask a guy out, I would expect to pay. But, like, he asked me out. He took me to an expensive restaurant. And then he asked me to pay. Like, what? The Like, if you're broke, that's fine. But, like, we don't need to do something that expensive. It was just so... It was, like, I was embarrassed. But then also at the same time, like, I just had to laugh about it and, like, just kind of see it for what it was. And, um... At the end of the day, it was good content. It's a great story. It's funny. It sucked in the moment. But here we are, and we're better for it. So that is all I have for you guys when it comes to my dating stories. I think I'm going to start doing that kind of stuff in the intro just so y'all can, like, know a little bit more about me personally um, before we jump in with a guest. So let me know if you like that. If not, I'll stop. But like I said, reach out. One more thing before we jump in with our guest, just a few housekeeping things. Um, you can find This Hits Different on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Um, I'm sure I'll be on Amazon, maybe SoundCloud. I'm not quite sure yet. But wherever you get your podcast, please, please, please go listen. Go leave a review. Go rate it. You can rate now on Spotify and Apple. So those are the big ones. Please, please, please. It really helps me out. Um, it really lets me know if I'm doing things correctly, what you like, what you don't. You can go find This Hits Different on YouTube at This Hits Different Podcast, Instagram at This Hits Different Podcast, TikTok at This Hits Different Pod. And you can find my personal accounts, um, Riley Nelson 18 on Instagram, Riley Nelson 13 on TikTok. Oh, and go on thishitsdifferent.com. So that's www.thishitsdifferent.com. Um, there I will be posting updates. I'll have all the episodes. Um, when I start getting some sponsors, all of that will be there. Um, and in there, there is a spot to fill out a form where you can tell me your crazy dating stories, anything you want to hear me talk about, um, just life updates, like keep up with me. I really want to know what's going on in your lives. I want to know who you are. I really want to interact with y'all. So please go follow on all the things. It really does help a lot. And I put a lot of work into this. So tell your friends about it. Alrighty. Without further ado, here is the interview with Samantha. Samantha Pillsbury is a New York City-based dating and self-worth coach. In her business, sampills.co, Samantha works with empathetic, ambitious women who want to find and build honest, vulnerable relationships. So her work often focuses on cultivating worthiness across women's lives, including love, career, and money. Her writing has been featured on Mind Body Green and Livingly. Before coaching, she worked in marketing and operations and has a degree from Yale University. Hello, Samantha. How are you doing today? I am great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited to talk about dating and coaching and just everything dating. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I can talk about it this forever. I mean, like, literally, I just find it so fascinating. I love, like, one, the psychology behind it all, but I just, I love, I love talking about dating relationships. I have a whole podcast about it. Yeah, I mean, and I, it's my full-time job. <laughs> so to get, like, into this, how did you get into dating coaching and how did you just get into this industry? Yeah. So it really all started for me because I hired a dating coach. Um, and that was actually a decision when I look back on it, that felt fairly casual. Um, I was just at a point in my life. I've had a, a bunch of 
sort of personal turbulence and was at a place where I just wanted some more support to get like my direction back. I had always been a very directional person, you know, get into the school and then go do the job and work hard. And I was just feeling lost. And um, an old mentor of mine had pivoted in, into dating coaching. So I hired her more as a life coach than a dating coach specifically. But of course, as the world works, I, it opened my eyes to all things dating coaching, completely blew my mind, led me to quit my corporate job, launch my own dating coaching business, not to mention plenty of other changes in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really had my eyes open to how much this work can be impactful for people and how there really isn't that much of it in the world right now. And I think there will be continue to be more people talking about this type of work. Um, so yeah, I launched the business um, in late 21. So we're sort of partway through the first year mm-hmm. and it's been such an interesting, exciting change. I feel so lucky to do this for my job. Oh my God, that's amazing. I know I was thinking about it, how, you know, with therapy becoming so normalized, I feel like dating coaching is kind of the next step because I feel like it's always kind of been taboo in a sense where like, oh, if you go to a dating coach, like you're desperate and lonely. And I think people are breaking those stigmas because of how common it is for people to go to therapy now. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of shifts in sort of what does it mean to seek out additional support? whether that's therapy or coaching. And obviously there's like slight nuances to why one or both might be better for you. I mean, I I personally am constantly working with both a therapist and a coach. Most of my clients are often working with both at the same time, but you know, it varies person to person. Um, But I, you know, when I think about it, especially as a coach, you know, we don't look at Michael Phelps having a swimming coach and go like, oh, he's like insecure and not good at <laughs> swimming because you know, no, like if you want to be good at something, exactly. you don't have third party, you know, like third party perspective on your own abilities. Yeah. A lot of things that you can't observe yourself doing. And so like, no wonder that people benefit from having somebody who knows the topic well, who can be a third party, like both support system and accountability system. Um, So yeah, I think you're totally right that a lot of these existing stigmas about needing help in these areas being a bad thing. I don't see it as people need help. Like, I don't think that my clients need help. I think they could Mm -hmm. do it on their own, but they're just ready to move through things faster and, you know, see changes faster and implement changes faster. And I think that's an incredible sign of strength. I agree. I think it's so crazy. Like whenever you just said the Michael Phelps thing, I'm like, you're so right. Of course he has a coach because that helps him see things that he can't and he can you know I'm sure however after how many years he's been swimming he can still adjust his techniques and change things to be better but I think that's the same when it comes to dating like we all have things that we can change consistently we're human beings we continue to grow and evolve so of course we're gonna need an outside party when it comes to dating and then also just therapy in general can't recommend it enough but <laughs> same, same, 100%. Yeah. oh my god I love that so so whenever you start with a client where do you start yeah so it really varies client to client I think um, when I work with somebody in my one-on-one container which is um, we do a three-month container is a fancy coaching word for basically package mm-hmm. but just like we work together for three months Um, And so when somebody has signed up to do that type of work with me, we've normally established before they even sign up sort of what they're struggling with and what they're moving towards. So like, where would they like their dating life to be? Now, most people who come to me 
are either single or newly in uh, something and they're trying to decide if this is the right fit for them. Mm -hmm. And most people's sort of, I would call it a surface level goal is to be in a happy, healthy relationship. And I'm sure listeners are like, wait, what surface level? Like, isn't that the goal? And I think um, what a lot of sort of not issues, but what a lot of the um, real underlying stuff that I see in my work comes down to is not like, do you have somebody in front of you that you're excited about? But how are you reacting when you have somebody in front of you that you're excited about? So you can look at some people who are like, they are dating a new guy and they stay completely level-headed on their value, who they are as a person. They have no instincts to shift. If the person starts disappointing them, they're happy to walk away. And then there are lots of people who, whether it's, you know, a second date or you've been seeing somebody for two months who all of a sudden they feel really attached or they have now are struggling with anxiety and overthinking. And it's those underlying topics of how we feel about ourselves Mm -hmm. that are often the underlying stuff. So when I'm getting started with a client, we're normally trying to identify what are those underlying things. It's not necessarily about, do you have a guy in front of you or not? And how can we get a guy in front of you or a woman if we're not being heteronormative here? Mm -hmm. Um, I will say most of my clients are women interested in men. So I tend to end up in a heteronormative world. Um, But yeah, we're, we're trying to figure out what are the behaviors that are coming up for you that make you feel not so good about yourselves in these dating scenarios. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, whatever you go on a date. And I think a lot of women are just like, get him to like me. It's more about focusing on how do I feel around them? Do they make me feel better? Do they make me feel inspired? And just focusing and really honing in on how you feel leaving the date. Yeah. And I think we all, you know, and anybody who's in sort of a um, care industry, which I would consider coaching a part of that industry where you're like, we are helping people care for themselves you need a serious dose of self-compassion. Like so many of these instincts and behaviors that any of us do in a dating scenario or anywhere else, mm-hmm. that we may even recognize that they're not healthy or they're not helpful at least mm-hmm. where, you know, if you were constantly on dates evaluating what he thinks of me and not paying attention to what you think of him, you may even know that that's probably not the way that you should be acting if you were going to be like at your most highly confident balanced self but those are hard things to shift because those go back really far in our childhood in our conditioning in how we've been socialized in society and so Mm -hmm. I always encourage women like do not beat yourself up there's not something wrong with you you are not flawed there is you're not broken for having these behaviors but understanding where they come from can help you choose actively am I going to continue acting that way or not but we have to start from this place of like, most of these things go really, really far back. They have lots of repetitions on them. And so step one is becoming aware of them. And then we can focus on shifting. Yeah. Do you see a lot of that um, when it comes to like family and familial behaviors at all? Yeah, I mean, uh, most of our, when you think about um, child development, and I am by no means a child development expert, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously just when you, you, uh, play in topics of love and dating, understanding this stuff is like a core part. Mm-hmm. We learned love in our childhood. You, whether you saw it or what type of love you saw between your two caregivers, typically parents, mm-hmm. um, and also how they loved you. We're like the primary ways that we learned what is love? How is it expressed? What does it feel? 
But the thing is, when we're kids, we don't have the adult awareness that we do now to say, oh, that's not normal or that's not good. You just accept what you're shown with no questioning. And it's really true when you're young. So like what we all think about is our critical thinking, our ability to say that feels bad or like yeah. your feelings or you're blaming that on me, but I don't really think that's my fault. That level of thinking, you truly don't have it until yeah. age seven. So at yeah. age seven is when you start to be able to question your world. And that's why when kids get into like elementary school, they're like, why, 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 why? They're developing that muscle. Yeah. Especially the parts of your life from zero to seven, you're just taking it all in with no questioning. And so mm-hmm. what you saw and learned there, especially about caregiving and love have a profound impact on who you are later in life. Um, but the good news about all of this, especially for anybody who's listening, who is like, oh shit, like that's not what I wanted to learn. Because when I yeah. think on that time in my life, our brains are incredible at changing. And so like mm-hmm. all it takes is some focused re- and pretty consistent. But if you put some focused, consistent effort into shifting the way your brain works, almost everything can be rewritten. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big part of what coaching is. Yeah. How would you say that your dating life changed and your mindset when it came to dating changed during and after while you were in your own personal dating sessions? Yeah. So if we were to paint a picture of young Samantha, but even just like Samantha walking into coaching, Mm -hmm. I am the epitome of an oldest child. I'm actually the oldest child. My parents are divorced and on both sides of my family, I have younger siblings. So oldest child, I'm also the oldest granddaughter Mm -hmm. on for all of my grandparents. So every single one of my grandparents, I was their first granddaughter. Um, so oldest child, like good girl, goody two shoes, couldn't break a rule, wanted to make good grades, high achieving peacekeeper, um, people pleaser, like th- truly, if you just <laughs> down to read the- a description of any of those things, yeah. I was, I get really uncomfortable when there's conflict in the room. Um, I always wanted to make other people happy. I paid so much more attention to whether the person on the date liked me, whether then I liked them back, all of these behaviors that were so textbook to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I got into my, my personal coaching journey, the big takeaways that I was seeing were, yeah, I knew that I cared about other people's feelings and I wanted others in the room to be comfortable before mm-hmm. I could really sit back and be comfortable, but I didn't realize how deep it was going. So I actually was kind of dissatisfied in my professional life Mm -hmm. and it took this work and really unpacking my dating life to see oh wait I'm also people pleasing in my career that like I have been staying in jobs that I know my parents would be proud of and I know that my friends would understand because of their opinions not because I necessarily think that they're the right fit for me and as soon as you start seeing those things Um, it's one of those things you like can't unsee. So my biggest shifts were starting to realize, oh, I need to figure out what I actually want and having a really solid oh shit moment of, I don't know what I want. Like I have spent my entire life doing what I knew would make other people happy and saying, I'm happy when other people are happy, even like really in subtle ways. And so it began a solid like three to six month journey of sort of like, to use a TikTok phrase, it was like sort of like entering my villain era of like, I needed to do what I needed to do, even if other people didn't understand it. Um, And, you know, I had to cut some people out of my life and I had to make some decisions that 
I mean, when I told my family that I was going to become a dating coach, I had a couple family members look at me like I had three heads and it was, thankfully, everybody was very supportive, even if they didn't understand, but I had to have some conversations that people pleaser, you know, high achiever, Samantha, it found very uncomfortable because I knew that people were like, I don't know that this is going to work, but they weren't saying that out loud to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, here you are very successful. (laughs) popping up on my tiktok for you page all the time <laughs> I, I saw your account come up and i was like yep i was like dm <laughs> but yeah. that's what i'm like i've been finding a lot of people on tiktok for my guests but um i saw like i think you said that you had gotten i want to say like 60 new clients or something like that from your tiktok blowing up well so most of my clients at this point come from tiktok which is yeah. amazing and it's been quite a journey. Um, I'm definitely, you know, I definitely was a late, well, I guess not a late adopter because there's still lots of people joining, but yeah. I, for what I felt was a late adopter to TikTok. I feel like I'm the um, same way. <laughs> um, and it's been a really interesting journey to figure out that platform. I'm so grateful for it because it really has been a huge driver mm-hmm. for my business. It has also been a big adventure in terms of dealing with the exposure. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, I, I was going to be happy if I got enough clients that, you know, paid my bills in this business. Like I, I had no intention of growing to be a huge account. Um, and like my, the first time I had videos go viral and especially I had one a couple of weeks ago, um, that got really big mm-hmm. and dealing with that exposure of like just the amount of people l- looking at you and having opinions, um, has been a journey into itself because as a, you know, recovering good girl, having people disagree with me or having people, you know, question me takes a lot for me to have it not get to me. And I don't just have a few people in a room saying it to me anymore. Now, when I have a video that people don't like, I can have thousands. Um, And so that's been a journey into myself. And I'm so grateful that I have the coaching tools that I do Mm -hmm. to work on myself so that I don't get completely wrecked. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible for it to not affect you at some level, but um, I feel like I'm in a much more stable place than I would have been if I had been in this spot a year ago yeah I had my first video kind of I wouldn't say it went viral but it it's popped off and I it's weird because mostly everybody's been really like supportive and like very nice in the comments but then there's a few people and I'm like okay I never understood it like like the hate comment thing until now and maybe it's just because like I'm experiencing it and I'm like hang on a second (laughs) <laughs> like people are like there was one in me that caught some steam I was like he's a 10 but whatever and mm-hmm. I did it and like someone commented and they're like well you're a one I was like really <laughs> I like so over this yeah no I mean I my mom's boyfriend has a concept that she, he always reminds us which is like the world is a bell curve mm-hmm. and there are 80% of the people in the world are in the middle of the bell curve they're good people they're rational they are, you know, everything we expect normal people to be. Mm-hmm. And then they're, you know, 10% on either end, 10% are exceptionally kind, respectful, or high achieving, whatever it is, you can apply this across any metric. Yeah. And there's the other 10 at the other end of the spectrum that are mean, deeply unhappy, mm-hmm. like out to get people. And we can't do anything in our lives really for either of these spectrums because, and you can do this for political beliefs. You can do this for cleanliness, for, you know, pricing a product. It literally doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You create for either of the ends of the spectrum, 
you you're getting yourself into a problem and so it's like we have to just remember that like most of the people are in that normal range and you know when I think when I see somebody who the biggest thing that I see on my in my TikTok comments is people who believe that typically women who believe that men are trash I'm like it's a fun phrase to say when you're complaining to your girlfriends over mimosas at brunch but like if we keep repeating this concept that men are trash especially as women who want to date men like we're not helping ourselves all we're doing is alienating men and on top of that and probably the more important part from my professional perspective is what we think and believe and especially what we say repeatedly filters how our brain perceives the world so if you're constantly repeating to yourself that men are trash you're going to start paying attention more Mm -hmm. to the men in the world who are trash and you're eventually your brain will actually stop noticing good guys yeah like not my personal opinion that is like the functioning system of our brains and we have to be really careful about what beliefs we're reinforcing in ourselves and so when I see those comments I'm like I can't engage with too much of this because I don't want to reinforce for everybody else that's following that this is a legitimate thought. Like, mm-hmm. sure, there are men who treat people poorly. And sure, there are a few men out there who are trash, but they're in that like 10% bad tail end of yeah. the bad. Um, And I am out here working with women who want to find the good guys. And so we need to focus on there are good guys. And some are these good guys who just have never gotten clear communication about what they want. And so they may be doing things without realizing what they're doing or, mm-hmm. you know, we can believe in the good in people and still be realistic. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's really, th- there's, there's some mean people on TikTok and everywhere, but also yeah. on TikTok. Especially TikTok. I actually learned though that um, they've done like studies on that. And a lot of the trolls are actually children who mm-hmm. are just trying to get into the world and they don't understand the pain that they're inflicting on others so I thought that was kind of interesting like a lot of those comments are literally kids and so like it's hard to not want to clap back but at the end of the day you know you just have to be the bigger person and usually sometimes I'll delete them sometimes I'll just if it's like not that bad I'm like whatever and usually my friends will see it before I do and then that's when it gets bad because they're like "Ah, excuse me no you don't say that about her No, I think, you know, I think we all have to make a decision on what we give our energy and attention to. Mm -hmm. That is like one of our scarcest resources. And so if you, if you just can say, I see it, you know, I, to myself mentally, I'll say, Mm -hmm. I see that that's not productive for me to spend my energy on and goodbye. And yeah, I've blocked a few times too. I also think, you know, anybody who is creating content is being super brave and vulnerable and putting themselves out there mostly for free. And so it's like, you didn't pay me to get access to some like proprietary membership where I give you my thoughts, where then I feel like you have a, a say in feedback. Like I'm doing this for free on my own time. Like, yes, I'm running a business behind it, but nobody who's following me on TikTok has to pay to follow me on TikTok. So you walked into a store that I ran and started berating me. There are laws that say, I do not have to, you know, in a restaurant, in like, I do not have to serve anybody in this establishment that I don't want to. Like you may leave, sir. Same thing on TikTok. Like I do not need to serve anybody that is being disrespectful for me. So like, I have no qualms with the block. Yeah. Which is crazy too. It's like, 
just if you don't like it just ignore it like we talked about this so much as children if you have nothing nice to say don't say anything at all and for some reason we like the basic principle people still don't understand it's like if you don't like it just ignore it like mm-hmm. I don't know I'm just so over like you know all the hate and negativity that people keep putting in because I'm just like I want to be positive I want to be happy let's focus on the good yeah well I also think if <laughs> To bring this all back to dating, I think there is an interesting parallel because we are all so self-interested and that's fine. Like that's, that's how humans are that we, um, whenever we see something in our world that is sort of in conflict with the way that we believe or the way that we see ourselves, Mm -hmm. it's really hard for us to not feel it as a personal attack where I'm seeing something that if it's true means I'm wrong. Um, and so I think a lot of people can get, they get personally offended when you say something that they disagree with. And so I think that's really the instinct that for a lot of times I can't speak mm-hmm. and I definitely don't understand the psychology of trolls. So like, yeah. <laughs> leave that one aside. <laughs> but I think often some of the more well-meaning trolls, let's say, mm-hmm. are feeling like they need to correct something that they're seeing in the world, but it's so that they can stay comfortable in their current worldview. Yeah. And I think that same instinct I see in a very different, like comes to life in a very different way in people's dating lives, where when they see somebody treating them not well, they interpret it as a personal like indictment on who they are. So like if a guy ghosts you, it can be interpreted as you're not good enough or you did something wrong. When in yes. fact, what that guy's actions were probably had absolutely nothing to do with you or if they had anything to do with you it was like very minorly and it had nothing to do with your like qualities as a human yes we are built to interpret the signals of our world as like information about who we are and that can lead to some really inaccurate conclusions and a lot of the sort of like low confidence and low self-worth I see in clients they tell me all this evidence of well he did this and this guy that I was dating did this and I'm like those are all information about them. Like those things have actually give me no information about who you are as a human. Gives me information on how you react to situations. Yeah. Um, but I think that's like a flaw that a lot of people, and so I think that the trolls can often misinterpret. I'm like, yeah, I can have a different belief than you. It doesn't mean that your belief is wrong. In fact, we all get individual beliefs, but yeah. we think that like the world needs to be completely harmonious with how we believe about, you know, about our world and about ourselves. Yeah, no, I completely agree on that. Um, well, while we're on the topic of self-worth, let's talk about that. I know that you do a lot of confidence building and self-worth with your clients. So for starters, what are like some of the main foundational issues that you're seeing a lot when it comes to, you know, a lack of self-worth or a lack of self-confidence? Yeah, I think the most common way I see it come to life is when, if you are the type of person where when things are going well in your life, you feel good about yourself, but when things start to go poorly, you feel bad about yourselves. And I'm not talking like, oh, it sucks that I got like critical feedback at work. If it's like, you know, you go into a phase where let's just say work is hard, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or maybe your company's not doing well. And so your boss is being shorter with you or whatever it is. If you immediately jump to beliefs that like you're not good enough, that you're going to get fired, that, you know, there's something wrong with you, that you were never qualified for this job to begin with. Like when you see those sort of like imposter syndromes flags popping up, 
that's a sign that your self, your view of yourself, including your self-worth, and then confidence is kind of a layer on top of that, is really tied to external feedback. So you're looking for the world to tell you, are you good or not? And that's a recipe for highly fluctuating views of yourself, which yeah. when you really think about self-worth, like self-worth is is your own worth. And so it shouldn't fluctuate based on the view around you. Like you can look at, oh, okay, I maybe didn't do so well on that presentation, but that's about your behavior. Like I didn't, you know, perform my best. Yeah. It's not that you're bad when you didn't do well on that presentation. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one of the most common things. And you see it a lot in kids that were really um, like good kids, like the high achievers, the ones who got into the school they wanted or was they were great athletes or great musicians or whatever it is where they were have been used to over their lifetime having people been like, oh, you did such a good job. Good job. You know, I'm so proud of you. Your parents yeah. must be so happy with that performance. They get really used to hearing the world telling them that they're good. And so they don't build up their own muscles of being like, I'm good, even if the world doesn't say so. Um, and when we're adults, like we don't have parents all the time coming and telling you did a good job. You did a good job. You have to yeah. be able to do it to yourself. Um, and so I see it a lot in, you know, most of my clients are really ambitious, high achieving women mm -hmm. who are used to that sort of like external feedback. And we have to actually tune them back into being able to give it to themselves rather than yeah. paying attention to the world. Yeah. Around. Sometimes I think me personally, I'm like, Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm such a badass. But then there's other times, like literally to last night, I was having a full-on breakdown because I was like, oh my God, my friends are starting their careers and I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing enough. And I'm like, Riley, you just graduated college in May and it's only August. Like you don't have to have it all figured out. But, you know, I really resonated with your TikTok because I am a very type A person. I like a plan. COVID was my absolute worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> No, it literally was. I had my whole college like planned out to the T. I was going to study abroad, May 2020. And then I was going to spring semester. I was going to study abroad in Australia. I That was like my whole goal. I wanted to intern at Live Nation and, and in, their, in their Sydney office. And then hopefully that internship would help lead to a job. Like I had so many things that I had planned out ready to go. And COVID threw a wrench into all of it. And it was horrible for me I literally like had such like a like I guess like a self-identity crisis just because I was like oh my god I'm not doing enough like I'm struggling I'm you know I wanted six internships by the time I graduated like and now I look at it and I'm like I still graduated with three internships yes I didn't get to study abroad and that sucks but you know I've since gotten to travel because you know COVID restrictions are lifting so like it's okay, but I've just been like so in my head lately about you know what success looks like and what it doesn't. And I hope my roommate doesn't hear me say this, but like she has a job, yeah. And I do not envy her at all right now. Like, <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, maybe I should like just focus on myself and like focus on the podcast and focus on the other things I'm doing. And, you know, try to learn how to give myself validation through like, no, you are doing enough rather than focus on, oh, I'm not doing enough. I could be doing more. Yeah. Yeah. We all live with this. And I mean, it's a fallacy. It's a lie that um, we have some level of control around of the world around us. You know, I, I hear it all the time in like, I've been seeing this guy and we're spending all this time together. How do I get him to commit? 
or like, how do I make him choose me? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't control other people. No. You don't control when a global pandemic hits. You don't control when governments lift travel mandates. You don't control whether the client that you presented that big pitch to had gotten dumped the day before and was just in a really bad like mind space. Mm -hmm. There's so much that we think we can control. Oh, well, if I prepare and I do a really good job in the presentation, he'll have to say yes to the pitch. Or if I am exactly this way, then he'll see that I'm girlfriend material and he'll want to commit to me. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you don't control his thoughts. You don't control his actions. The only thing we have any control over are thoughts our feelings and our reaction to the world around us. And that is it. That's it. Yeah. So it's like, we can, I I guess you could say your actions, but I would consider that like your reactions to the world around us. Like how you act and how you react and how your thoughts and feelings are going on in your head through all that is all we have control over. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there are going to be sometimes like we all get thrown some really shitty pitches sometimes that you're like, you have to deal with hardships. And one of the big things, you know, there's this concept in stoicism, which is like a philosophy that I think is really, first of all, it's kind of trending right now, but um, I mean, it's like from Greek and Roman eras and it's, mm-hmm. so it's been around a long time and it really espouses this belief where like, we need to focus on what we can focus on, but there's also a benefit when you are facing challenges in your life. It's an opportunity for you to show yourself who you are. So like the people who are never challenged, like let's go back to our Michael Phelps example. Mm-hmm. If Michael Phelps had always swum against like mediocre swimmers in his career, or if you think about, you know, you're in the music world, if you had only had to audition for like your high school musical against medium quality, like only mildly talented singers, yes, you wouldn't get that good because you'd never be like, oh shit, I need to step up my game. You yeah. never have that moment of like, oh, I might not get what I want unless I really step into myself. And so yeah. when we face challenges. They can be sort of the crucibles to say, okay, who am I really? And like, what, how do I want to respond to situations like these? And doesn't mean they're not shitty. doesn't mean they're not painful or disappointing or all those mm-hmm. things. But just like I said, our reactions are one of the biggest things that we have control over. So you can either get really depressed and victim mentality of like, yeah. I can't believe this happened to me. I was supposed to be X, Y, Z places. Or you can be like, okay, this is a really interesting opportunity. Like my plan got screwed up, mm-hmm. but I know I can't control the world around me. So how is my plan shifting? Or like, how am I going to respond to these new situations? Wow. That's deep. <laughs> work with um, like self-worth and confidence. Where do you start? How do you actually like help somebody build that? Yeah, I think there's a big myth. I was actually talking about this with a client last week. There's a myth that confidence is a feeling like sadness or happiness that you're like, oh, I'm going to, I need to do things so that some days when I'm walking into that presentation or when I'm walking into that first date, I'll feel confident. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a misunderstanding of what confidence is. Like confidence is a belief that you are going to be able to handle whatever comes your way. And so it's really a mindset and not a feeling. When you think about like people who are confident, you know, I did theater growing up my whole life. And so presenting in front of people, or like, I guess I should say performing in front of people is something I'd been doing from a very young age. So Mm -hmm. before I was a coach, I worked in the marketing industry. I worked in an advertising agency and I was on the new business team. So like we'd go into these pitches 
in front of you know the CMO of insert brand trying to get these these brands to hire us to be their advertising agency. Mm-hmm. And I would always have people ask me like, how do you feel so confident presenting? Like you get up there, you don't seem nervous. And I would always tell them, number one, just because I seem confident doesn't mean I'm not nervous. Yeah. But I'm doing it in spite of my nerves. Yeah. Second of all, I have repetitions on doing this enough times that I know I can handle if they like the pitch or if they don't like the pitch, you know, if I see the CMO on his phone texting, that doesn't make me believe that I'm a bad presenter. You know, I can just respond to the situations. And so my confidence doesn't come from knowing that I'll do well. It comes repetitions of doing the thing and just knowing that I can handle whatever comes my way. So the action itself doesn't feel so scary. Yeah. Uh, And so when I work with clients to start building confidence, that's the number one thing. It's like, you're not going to feel the confidence before you act confident. We're going to like get you doing actions. And over time you'll see, oh wait, I can really handle this. Yeah. It will mean that the risk of failure will get less scary because you'll go, oh, I can handle this. You know, if it completely crashes and burns, I can be fine. And so I think when you shift into confidence as a mindset, you can start thinking confident before you actually have the repetitions on being able to do the action. I think a lot about, um, I don't know, whenever you were saying this, it just kind of took me into the like place of like rejection almost where like, I, and I think about my own personal story, I look back at, you know, younger Riley and her lack of confidence and self-worth is so sad. Like, like you said, I grew up performing. I was a singer before I went to Belmont and I always knew when and how to turn it on my whole life. I have been a performer. I can, I, you know, I get up in front of a group of people, those nerves, they, they, they fuel me. They don't hinder me. They never have. And, you know, that's a quality that, you know, public speaking is not an issue for me. And that's a quality that I am grateful that I have because I know a lot of people don't, but I just look at my younger self and what I was willing to take from guys. Um, you know, my dad and I have such a great relationship and I think almost to a fault where like I had my expectation for guys way up here and, um, I have yet to meet anybody who can even come close to meeting the expectations my dad set for me. And I think about the things I used to accept and I look back and I'm just like, oh man, like it's so embarrassing, Riley. You're in a situationship for like three years on and on. Like that is so embarrassing. And I think back to that and what I was able to do, um, probably through a lot of it, honestly, it's probably through listening to podcasts, which is why I think like I am so passionate about it because I gained so much self-worth, self-worth and confidence just from listening and learning about it through podcasts. And I look at the things I used to accept and I look at it now and I'm like, I would never take that. And it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that it doesn't suck. It doesn't mean that sometimes i you know, don't feel lonely, but like, I look at it now and I'm like, I would rather not even have this person in my life than accept what they're willing to give me. Yeah, no, I think that, but I think you having that mindset is like, it shows that you're a couple steps along the journey. And so if there are people listening who are like, yeah, that all sounds good. But when I'm actually in the situation, it's really friggin' scary to accept the possibility that let's take the situationship example. I do a lot of work with people on situationships. I joke, I used to be the situationship queen. I was actually in three in a row. 
And I was like, this was not, I was not your age. This was fairly recently. And I remember the third one. I was like, how did I end up here again? Like, I'm not, I had some decent standards on what type of person I was letting into my life. And I ended up here again. But when you're in like a situationship with a guy who you like, there are a lot of things about him that you like. And it often doesn't feel like the decision that you're making is bad relationship or alone. Mm-hmm. You're so focused on, I like him and I want to continue spending time with him. But I also know that something about this situation isn't meeting my needs or it isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. So when I have people come into the comments, be like, I've been seeing him for this long and we've been hanging out all this time, but like, he doesn't call me his girlfriend. And you're thinking about it as what am I doing wrong to yeah. not get him to act that way? So you're not even reading it as bad relationship versus alone. It's a whole different calculus. Yeah. And you're so focused on the potential of rejection that if you ask for what you need, Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I can't give that to you, that you're going to get rejected. And it's going to be somebody saying, I don't want to date you. Yeah. And actually reframing it to the way that you were looking about looking at that situation can be a really helpful step one. Yeah. Like, what we're not, we're not talking about, does he like me or not? We're talking about, am I staying in a situation where I'm compromising mm-hmm. or am I going to go to a situation where I'm not compromising. Now that not compromising situation means that this man isn't in your life and that can be scary in its own right. But like, yeah. we have to be really careful when we, when we compromise over and over again, what we're telling ourselves is that the full picture of what we want, that great example that your dad set for you, mm-hmm. if you compromise over and over again, you're telling your subconscious that that full list isn't possible. Yeah. And we need to continue to repeat the full list is possible. That full list person isn't perfect. And I think that's the, um, I get a lot of questions from people about like settling or like which things you should be willing to compromise on. Mm-hmm. Like your partner will always be flawed and they will always have traits that are annoying. They will always rub you the wrong way certain times. Like yes. flawed. how awful would it be to date a perfect person? It would be so intimidating and like uncomfortable. Why can't you mess up? (laughs) Like we don't want to date perfect people. We like dating imperfect people because it gives us permission to be imperfect as well. Mm -hmm. But the key is when it is a characteristic of the person and how they treat you, Mm -hmm. compromising on that means that you're telling yourself you're compromising on how you should be treated. Yeah. Uh, I always think about, what is the worst that can happen? And I think about that in a lot of situations. I'm pretty analytical when it just comes to life. Um, I love, you know, I'm not like a huge like data analytics kind of person, but, (laughs) you know, here I am looking at my analytics every five days and tracking it and keeping Excel sheets. So I am fairly analytical. And I think about life like, okay, if, you know, X happens and then Y happens, what is going to, like, what's, what it, it equals Z? What does that mean? Like, So I'm always thinking about certain things just very analytically and like, what is the worst that can happen if the absolute, if every single thing goes wrong, what is the worst outcome? And 99% of the time, it's not that big. And I really have to remind myself that because, you know, I'm not a surgeon. So like, you know, my job is not life or death, but my manager is always like, Riley, you got to like calm down. Like, it's not, you know, it's fine if we have to cancel clients today because 
the esthetician's sick. I work in med, uh, at a med spa right now. Yeah. That's just my temporary job. It's, <laughs> it's great though. We love it. A lot of good benefits. Um, but so I think about that too with, you know, rejection. And I think about, okay, what is the worst that can happen if I do this or I don't do this? And I think about it. I'm like, okay, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. Like say that there was an example that happened a th- maybe like a month or so ago. This guy came over to fix our AC. He was incredibly attractive. Mm. And I was, I was like talking to my roommates and I was so nervous. I was like, I want to give this guy my number, but like, you know, I was embarrassed of like being rejected in front of my friends and, you know, I can handle rejection in private, but when it comes to other people seeing it, sometimes <laughs> it's even more like nerve wracking. But I remember thinking, okay, what is the worst that can happen if you don't give it to him? And I'm like, I would regret it. And I would sit and think, wow, I wish I would have done that. Probably like, we'll never find this guy again, which honestly I found on social media, but it's fine. Not for <laughs> but then I'm thinking, okay, that's, you know, I don't like having regrets. So that's like a pretty big one for me. And then the other thing is if I give him my number, what's the worst that can happen? He doesn't text me. That's it. Like, He's not going to throw it back in my face. Oh, how dare you? No, the yeah. worst that's going to happen is he's just not going to text me. And at the end of the day, that's what happened. He didn't end up texting me. But also I think about it in the sense, like, I don't, I didn't know this guy. I don't know if he has a girlfriend or he doesn't have a wife or if he does, he wasn't wearing a ring, but I'm like, <laughs> he could have kids. He could have a girlfriend. There's yeah. a million factors as to why he probably hasn't reached out. And my friends kept trying to be like, oh, well, like, you know, it's fine. Just have hope, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, guys, I love y'all so much, but I don't like this, like, babying. I like it how it is. And so I'm like that with my friends, and they don't necessarily love that. But I get frustrated when they always are like, oh, well, maybe this and maybe that. I'm like, guys, don't come up with excuses. At the end of the day, like, he's just not into me enough. Like, that's, it's not that deep. And that's the way I prefer to look at it. Um. But I always just think, like, what is the worst that can happen? And 99% of the time, it's really not that bad. It is something I can handle. And he didn't text me. Was it a little bit of a blow to my ego? Yes. But then also, there's so many outside factors as to why he potentially didn't text me. Absolutely. You know, who knows? Maybe he will one day. Yeah. You never know. You never know. And I also think, you know, I think we are trained it's not even that we're trained, we're wired. Like our biology as humans mm-hmm. is to interpret fear as like a sign to stop Mm -hmm. and that goes all the way back like if you think back to like caveman days when the cave it was mostly men that were going out hunting but like so we'll use the man example for now Mm -hmm. when the man steps out of the cave and his biology is like don't go that way the saber-toothed tigers are that way Mm -hmm. it was training like oh go this way the deer are that way and so it trains us of like when you get scared and, or something goes, I guess, more accurately, when something goes terribly, you're going to get the feedback to not do that again. Like, don't put yourself yeah. in risk again. So don't go to the field where, you know, the saber-toothed tigers live, go to this other field. Yeah. And so we get that now where we're like, fear, go the other direction, but we're not facing saber-toothed tigers. Like that, the biology makes sense of like, if you run into a saber-toothed tiger, I should surely couldn't fight a saber-toothed tiger. I would definitely die. <laughs> but like we're not facing these deathly instincts but our brains are still working the same way yeah so when you've been rejected you know let's use your example when you walked up to somebody at a bar and you were rejected your brain may log a memory of like that didn't feel good let's not do that again 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then it's going to keep showing that to you as like, it's trying to get you to stay in the safe zone. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, and I say this to clients all the time, our brains are wired to keep us safe, not to make us happy. Yeah. And I can't actually take credit for that quote, but I wish I could remember who I heard it from. The yeah. first time. But our brains are wired to keep us safe, not to make us happy. So if we always listen to the fear part of our brain, we will stay safe. We will not get rejected. We will not have major disappointments in our life other than the ones that are like completely random and unfortunately just happen. But we won't, if we keep listening to the fear, be happy. We won't feel fulfilled. Yes. And so I, I always remind myself that things I want most are on the other side of the scariest fears. So even when I look back, like I, when I started this business, was so scared to pick up the phone, turn on the camera and like talk to my phone mm-hmm. with thoughts because I had all these things about what it was going to mean and what the people in my life were going to think about. And I was going to deal with trolls, like spoiler alert, I did. But if I hadn't gotten over that fear and gotten over it and over it and over it by doing it over again, like I wouldn't have, I haven't looked at my numbers today, but like, let's call it 34,000 followers on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Like it never would have happened um, if I hadn't stepped through that fear and then I can look at all the amazing things that came on the other side of the fear. And like, it doesn't mean that there weren't bad things on the other side of the fear too. But if we just let the fear stop us, we'll never know what's on the other side. Yeah. Do you recommend to your clients that they shoot their shot more? Like, I almost feel like rejection. It's, it's so scary. I think, especially to women, because we're always, you know, the ones like rejecting men and we're not the ones like typically getting rejected. I feel like it's like, not a newer thing because I'm sure women get rejected but like it's a newer thing but I found for me personally just going up to guys at bars over and over and over and over again maybe you know at the time I was trying to get some free drinks but (laughs) you know over time I can't tell you how many times like majority of the time I get what I want and you know it's like a whether it's a drink or whether it's a phone number or a date like I would say like 90% of the time I do. And then there's other times when I do get rejected and I've gotten rejected a ton. I always joke, I am the queen of rejection, but at the same time, I keep pushing and I keep going. They don't, I've over time, this is not something that like just happened once, but like over time, rejection doesn't really face me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I had a professor one time that told me if you learned that you had to have a hundred no's mm-hmm. before you became successful or before you got to the thing that you wanted, every time you got a no, you would be ecstatic. Totally. Be so excited to get to, because that no is one step closer to a yes. And so I think about it that way nowadays, when it comes to dating, it's like, you know, dating is like a numbers game at the end of the day. Like, And it's about opening yourself up to communicating and receiving, you know, another person. And so I just think like, for me, I think if I were a dating coach, which I am not, let me, (laughs) but if I were, I would really refer my clients to like walk up to five guys one night in a bar. And I guarantee you'll probably only get rejected by one of them. And if you don't, that's fine. It's just once you like almost desensitize yourself to it, it really, you realize it's not that bad. Yeah. And you just move on, on to the next. There's so much to unpack in this question. The first thing that I will say, because I do think it is something that needs to get debunked um, sort of in the dating world, 
is that I don't believe dating is a numbers game. I think there's some nuance to that mm-hmm. statement. Here's, here's my, here's my take. Okay. Let's I hear. think we have, because I have had clients multiple, in fact, who have come to me having gone on, I won't say the numbers, but like the number of dates that you would be like, Oh my God, like, how are they also keeping a full-time job? Yeah. Uh, and it starts to really wear on them. Cause they're like, I am meeting so many guys. I'm going on so many dates. Mm-hmm. Why isn't it working? Um, and one of the things I often explain to them, yes, the more people you expose yourself to, the more likely um, that you are going to meet somebody that could be compatible with you. But there's a big difference between getting your ass in the seat on a date and actually being open to connection. And I think a lot of people who really, really want a relationship might not realize the ways that they're not actually as open to connection as they think they are. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's because they're scared that like they get into an early dating scenario. It might be like a third date. It's not necessarily on the first date. And they are looking for red flags or they're looking for what in my world, I'm like, they look for saber tooth tigers. Mm -hmm. And I, so yes, you can go on plenty of days and that absolutely helps like compared to the person who's just sitting on their couch watching Netflix, like somebody who is out meeting more people is putting Mm -hmm. themselves in a better situation, but we do have to apply a little bit of nuance that just, just putting yourself out there doesn't necessarily mean you're in the best place to find connection if you're yeah. keeping connection at arm's length. And there's a lot of like, valid. yeah, there's a lot of like interesting ways that we often don't realize we're keeping, mm-hmm. um, we are keeping connection at arm's length. And I will say what I find is a particularly um, potentially inflammatory thing, which is if you are a girl who has struggled with situationships if you feel like you're constantly dating emotionally unavailable men mm-hmm. the guys who never seem to let you in who are always kind of keeping you at arm's length if you feel like you've been in a lot of situations where people have been um kind of withholding from you and you constantly feel like you're having to pull things mm-hmm. out of them all of these things signal that there is a way that you are keeping connection at arm's length mm-hmm. so when people, a lot of women who are like, I keep dating the emotionally unavailable guy. Like, how can I pick better guys? Like, miss, let's turn it ourselves around because yeah. that means there are some things that we are doing that are creating, like we're, we're sort of inviting people to a party and the invitations are going out to people who are emotionally unavailable. And so it's like, we need to look at what, what is the invitation saying? Yeah. Um, we're the ones that are invited to that party, but that's a whole separate topic that I could go that's into. Like- I know. Sorry. I don't want to like take too much of it. Yeah. We talked about uh, dating as a numbers game and how there's nuance. Mm-hmm. Definitely more numbers helpful, but you have to make sure that you're also open to connection and you may really, really want a relationship and not necessarily be open to connection. So that's a level. And that's a big thing that I work with clients on. Is yeah. You may not realize the way that they're open to connection, but back to your original point about putting yourself out there and sort of shooting your shot. I really believe that there is a certain energetic vibe that we can all feel um so you think about it when you're like if you think about when you were um if you've like ever babysat and you have two kids who are like running around and playing but one constantly wants your attention like they constantly come running back to you yeah or even when they're completely across the room they're like samantha look yeah you're like looking over at them 
You're like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You are, you like perceive certain things about the kid versus the one that's like very happily able to go play by themselves and they don't constantly need your attention. So they're like these energetics, or even if we were to say, you know, if I were to call you up on the phone and be like, you know, I have this awesome podcast that I'm doing, like, Riley, would you want to come on? Mm-hmm. You're like, cool. Versus I'm like, hi. So I um, have this podcast that I'm doing and I don't know, um, would you want to come on? Like I said the same words. Yeah. But the energetic is very different. Yeah. And that sort of like nuance of how we're saying things and what we're doing things makes a huge difference in our dating lives. And so one of the values that I think of shooting your shot, especially when you're doing it in a way that is sort of the first example where you're saying, hey, I have a lot to offer and you seem attractive. Like if you're interested, you should take me out on a date is very different than like, I'm sitting in this bar and I really want somebody's attention and like nobody's coming up to me. So I guess I have to come up to, you know, I have to go up to them sort of vibes. So I, I often find that there's a good, um, there's value in the challenge of putting yourself out there, but Mm -hmm. you don't have to always be the one putting yourself out there. The point of shooting your shot is actually to just like feel the energetic. I want, you know, I find somebody attractive. And if I find somebody attractive, that means that I can talk to them Mm-hmm. And that there's nothing like, I don't need, I don't need their permission to have their attention. Yeah. And so when it's used that way, I think it's great. Um, yeah. I think you just can't push it too far to the end of the line. Like, no, also it feels really good to be pursued. And if we get yeah. too used to just going out and putting ourselves out there, we get out of the practice of what it feels like to let somebody pursue you. Oh um, yeah. You don't I definitely do. When I, when I do this, I make the entrance but after that, the ball is in their court. And if they don't do, like, if they're not planning a date and they're, like, just texting me for weeks on end, no. Like, you're done. You know, you had your chance. And so I'm I'm definitely that way. We're like, I'll, I don't mind making the entrance. I'll do the opening. I will not pursue. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a, one of the, like, big sort of dating coaches in this space. Yeah. I don't know if you, like, watch any of con- his content, but Matthew Hussey. Is like one of these big dating coaches. Yeah, he's great. Great. I know. He's like a dream guest. (laughs) Yeah, he's so good. One day. Um, But he he actually had sort of some comments on this topic that I found super insightful, which was that a lot of times when women hear this conversation about, you know, shooting your shot or women going up and sort of like opening the door, they're like, oh, like, why do we have to do this now? Like for all of history, the Mm -hmm. men like pursued women. Um, Why is it like we are having to do so much more work now? And he was like, okay, sort of half true. Back in like the Victorian era mm-hmm. where women are like all in corsets and you know, you have to have a, and when the man comes over to court, like we're talking old school dating yeah. culture. One of the biggest ways that a woman would sort of shoot her shot or open the door for a man to come in mm-hmm. is she'd drop her handkerchief. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've and, heard this one before. <laughs> exactly. And I thought it was such a beautiful thing of like, she's not being like, you should date me, but she's saying, Hey, here's an opportunity where you can like step up and help. Yeah. And if you leave the handkerchief here, I know that you're not interested in me and, or you're not my person because like my polite future husband, if he saw a woman drop her handkerchief, especially, yeah, especially because she's wearing a friggin' corset, like bending yeah. down is not she can't bend down in that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's why it's a beautiful example. Like yeah. I think in our dating life, 
we can find opportunities to drop a handkerchief. Um, one of my favorites, which is actually another Matthew Hussey tip, which is men love to be helpful. They feel super valued when they're helpful. So I'm not really into the like tactical tips and tricks, but if yeah. you're looking for a way to test this sort of like drop the handkerchief idea, the next time you're out at a bar or at a restaurant or you're at a coffee shop or whatever it is, when you come from the bar or the cop, whatever it is, with the coffee for you and your friend, whoever you're there with, say maybe you have a jacket or you have a bag or something, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you can walk up to them. And this is full credit to Matthew Hussey for this concept, but I think it's a good one. You walk up to this guy that you think is interesting. You're like, can you do me a huge favor? He's like, sure. Most guys will be like, yeah. can you hold these for just a second? I need to like readjust my jacket yeah. or like, can you hold my jacket for a second? I'm like, I don't have enough hands and I need to go drop this stuff. I think I literally did a TikTok about this. <laughs> yeah. Great minds think alike. I know. What it does that is so beautiful is it's not you saying, pay attention to me. It's you putting yourself in his world, giving him an opportunity to help you. You go to your friends, you're walking away, hand the drinks, and then you can come back, take your jacket from him or the drink, whatever you handed to him. Yeah. Be like, thank you so much. That was so helpful. And then you like, have that oh, moment pause. If he, if he takes that open opportunity to be like, oh, totally start a conversation or maybe you even introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. And Samantha, you know, thanks so much. This was really helpful. He, some guys will take the door, open the door, whatever. You yeah. Others won't. But that is an opportunity. Like you're at no loss. You gave him an opportunity to be helpful. You gave him an easy entrance. If he takes yeah. it, great. And if not, he probably isn't the type that's going to make that much initiative. And if that's important to you, well, then not a fit. But there are lots of ways that don't have to be so straight up, like, hi, I think you're cute. Like, you should ask for my number. Mm -hmm. Where you can be putting yourself in a place where a guy is approachable. You know, like, don't listen to your earphones when you're at the coffee shop. Make eye contact with people. There's, like, little ways that you can open the door um, in sort of, like, drop your handkerchief ways. Yeah. One of the things I always say, too, with coffee shops is, like, Ask someone that you're interested in to keep an eye on yourself while you run up and grab another coffee or you go to the bathroom. All my friends are like, I would never because what if it gets stolen? I'm like, okay, really? Like the odds of that person being a thief and running out with it are so slim, especially there's like people around. I really doubt that's going to happen, but like you're making them feel useful. But I always like joke too. I'm like, well, I I made a TikTok about it too. I was like, if you get yourself stolen, don't come for me, but it's a great way (laughs) Because then you come back and they're like, oh my God, like so many people try to take it. I had to fight them off. Like you can turn it into like a fun banter. Like there's so many things you can do with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think our dating lives, they're just a subsection of our regular lives. And the only difference is that in order to be successful in your dating life, quote, successful. Yeah. Listeners, I'm air quoting here. In order to be successful in your dating life, your heart has to get involved. And so it's like, it is more vulnerable. And so it can feel more Mm -hmm. intense, but in the early stages, like in the early couple of dates, if your heart is getting involved, we actually have some warning signs because nobody that you've gone on three dates with has shown you enough about themselves for you to really get your heart involved. You might be like interested or attracted, but like our hearts should not really be involved Mm -hmm. in early dating. And so we can just explore and play around in early dates a little bit more. Um, And I, you know, my bar for any client, if they're thinking, I went on this first date, am I going on the second date? Comes down to three questions. Did you have fun? Are you interested to know more? 
And did you see something that makes you think this person is a good person? And that's it. Yeah. You don't need to be like, they showed me this. They don't have these red flags. No, keep it really simple. Yeah. Have fun. Are you intrigued to learn more? And did this person show indicators that they're a good person? Yeah. I mean, for me, unless a date goes horribly wrong, I'll always go on a second date because I just feel like you don't have enough information yet from the first date. But after the second date, I have learned this with myself. If I do not want to kiss them, I'm like, I don't know that I can get there by then. And I know that that might like kind of seem shallow, but like, I remember I was on a second date with a guy, we went bowling and I'm being so goofy. I'm like, let's do trick shots. And this guy is so intense. And he's like, no, like blah, blah, blah. I'm winning. And I was just so turned off. And I was like, this is like, I don't know. It was like, it wasn't bad, but it just showed me like a more, like he wasn't really super playful. He took things very serious and it showed me a lot actually into this guy. And then also too, he kept trying to get me to go home with him afterwards. And that was a really big turnoff for me because, you know, I met you on an app. We've been on two dates. You're a stranger to me still. But anyways, we were in the car on the way back. And when he dropped me off, he like leaned in and I was like, oh my God, I was like, I do not want to kiss this guy. Like, what do I do? And thank God he didn't go for it. He was going for a hug, but I got really scared. And in that moment, I was like, no, we're not attracted to him. Like we tried. And then, you know, also looking back and like thinking more about the date after I got out of the car, I was just like, it's not. Yeah, I don't have as um, strict a rule about the sort of physical chemistry stuff, mm-hmm. especially because when you actually get into the um, science behind physical chemistry, mm-hmm. a lot of it is we confuse often chemistry, which is obviously like tied into physical attraction at uh, some of the signals that I think a lot of us interpret as good things, good yeah. chemistry are actually not uh-huh. good fits for us. Yeah. Um, and so actually... This isn't always the case. You don't have to like go for the slow burn that takes a while for the chemistry to build. Some people do feel attracted to uh, the partner and feel that chemistry like very early in a dating scenario. And for those people, it's great. Um, I think what's interesting about your example is I, it seems to me that the not wanting to kiss him came after your brain had already registered some serious red flags. Yeah. Like they may not have felt it in the middle of the date, but somebody not respecting your boundaries. Like if you were sending signals that you don't want to go home with him and he kept pushing on it, like, I'm not surprised that your brain was like, whoop, nope, turn that baby off. Like we're not getting in there. (laughs) And so I think in that way, like our, our brains do a good job of saying, Hey, this person isn't a fit. This person isn't a fit and not giving you signals to like keep leaning in. But I guess just, I, I think it's always important to separate the two concepts when you have seen a signal like you saw, and especially because yeah. it sounds like you all weren't a personality fit. Like there were a lot of things going on the date yeah. to not be attracted and not want to go out again. Totally makes sense. Totally agree. Yeah. Sometimes physical chemistry or that sort of like sparky feeling mm-hmm. takes a little bit longer to build. And so if you have, if the guy completely respected your boundaries, you had a really fun time. You felt like you were personality fits. He was very nice to you, but you're still not like, oh, I want to jump his bones. Yeah. It's cute, but like, I don't want to jump his bones. That's not a bad sign. That's a sign that like, it could be um, building. I think your body was doing a really good job of being like, this guy is not no good news. 
so I hope that helps for some people to parse out the difference between the two. Yeah. Um, because yeah, our brains, our brains are tricksters sometimes. They can send us a lot of different signals that mean different things. Um, and it just takes some time to parse through it all. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time. So um, before we close everything out, um, go ahead and tell people where they can find you. Yeah, no, this was so fun. I, people can find me, um, at sampills.co on Instagram and TikTok. My website is also sampills.co everywhere. And if you are interested in learning more about working with me, um, I have a few one-on-one spots available. I only open a few every month. Um, you can read more information about that on my website. And I have a new offering that I have not officially announced yet but it's coming in the next couple of well we'll see let's call it weeks to month um that is especially built for somebody who might not be ready to invest in a full one-on-one container yet but still wants to do some of this work that we've talked about of sort of like understanding your patterns building confidence and all that good stuff so if either of those are interesting to you either through tiktok or instagram it links to my website but also at my website there are places that you can sign up to either book a call or learn more about any of those things okay well thank you so much Thank you for coming on and um, I'm really excited for this episode to come out. I think it's going to be a good one. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Alrighty guys, I am back. It is just me. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Sam as much as I did. Um, Personally, I think that it was a great episode. I loved talking with her about being type A and trying to date and people pleasing because I think not just like, I think a lot of people can struggle with this, but I think a lot of women can relate to this because we're just kind of like grown up to be people pleasers. And I think that it affects a lot more uh, areas of our life than we're used to or than we expect to. So I really hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, So um, lastly, before I close out, um, like I said earlier, like, subscribe, follow, review. Please, please, please do all the things. It really, really helps me. And I'm just going to keep saying it over and over and over until it happens. So you can send submissions on my website at www.thishitsdifferent.com. You can find us on Instagram at This Hits Different Podcast. You can find us on YouTube at This Hits Different Podcast. And you can find This Hits Different on TikTok at This Hits Different Pod. As always, my personal account is Riley Nelson 18, and that's for Instagram. My personal account for TikTok is Riley Nelson 13. I really have been hustling on TikTok, so please go give it a follow. That would really help. Today's episode was written and scripted by Riley Nelson. The intro and theme song for This Hits Different was produced by Zach Jordan. You can find him on Instagram at Zach. Z-A-C-C-H dot Jordan, and it's J-R-D-N. Zach Jordan on Instagram. You can also find him on TikTok under that same name. Editing was done by Aiden McKernan, and you can find him on Instagram at Aiden C. McKernan, and that is spelled A-I-D-A-N-C as in cat. McKernan is M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N. And um, I'll go ahead and link them down below because we love Zach and Aiden. They are freaking killing it. And they have helped me so much in this process. And so obviously go follow them. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. Bye. Bye.